If you have your Bibles, we're going to continue our series. We are in chapter 2, Pursuing Meaning. We are in chapter 2, looking at the life of Solomon and how this man is writing to help us reflect on life, really. And, and this could be considered almost a biography of his pursuits and trying to help us understand the true meaning of life and how to find true purpose in God. And here's a man who had all the means in the world to do whatever he felt like doing to find meaning. And today, he actually gives us his resume when it comes to one of the things that people think is the purpose of life is pleasure. So we're going to talk about pursuing pleasure this morning. And here is basically the man's resume when it comes to pursuing pleasure. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to focus on the first 11 verses of this chapter. It says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched a foolishness. In this way, I try to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Verse 4, I also try to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women. And others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and province. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had, who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything, I worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. That is the word of the Lord. Can you say amen? One of my favorite things to do is to watch documentaries. I'm a big fan of seeing people's process of life and how they went about pursuing the things that they believed in. In other words, I, I'm a big fan of character development. And documentaries is a great end to people's perspectives, people's approaches and people's worldviews and, and the pursuit of fame and glory and money and purpose and all of that is wrapped up in these documentaries because Behind every human being is a desire for meaning, for purpose. We long to make sense of life. 
Not only documentaries, but I love movies that are based on true stories. The more close to true, the better for me. My wife and I are very different when it comes to that. She's like, I already live a real life. Why do I need to see someone else's life? She's like, give me a rom-com any day of the week. You know, so when she falls asleep, I put on a documentary. But it's fascinating to me to see people's pursuit of the things that we all seem to want in life. And I think Solomon's life would have made a great movie. Like, I, I would love to see a Hollywood director take this man on. And, because there's so much here in this man's life that is fascinating. And here, in this chapter, he tells us that, let's remember, last week we talked about his net worth. The man today, in today's money, this man was worth $2.1 trillion. You can't count that kind of money. Like, try to count that many zeros. Like, this man was worth 10 times more than Jeff Bezos, which is the richest man in the world. And you can Google this. Still is the, the wealthiest man who's ever lived. So he had the means to do whatever he wanted to do. And here he gives you his resume when it comes to one of, one of the things that people think is the most important thing in life, which is to find pleasure. We call this, for a fancy word, hedonists, right? These are the people who believe that being a hedonist is the greatest focus in life. Right? And so here, my friends, let, let's, let's define a couple of things, right? Hedonism is basically saying that the pursuit of pleasure is the ultimate goal. And what is pleasure? Pleasure is, is, is basically enjoying life, right? Hopefully find satisfaction in living. And here this man says, hey, I went after it. Like I had the means to be able to go after pleasure in any way imaginable. And here's his resume, right? Look, if you break down chapter two, he says to you, first of all, I threw all kinds of parties because I had the means to do it. He says, I gave myself to wine, right? I, I gave myself to drinking because that's what some people believe you will find pleasure in. Right? And also he goes on to say, man, I built homes. By the way, his castle took seven years to build. And it's estimated that he spent close to $2 billion in it. And you thought you had a beautiful home. Like your home is cute when it comes to Solomon's castle. Right? He built homes. And, and, and he says, I planted vineyards. Right? And he... And he had gardens. We're not talking about your little grandmother's Portuguese garden. Okay, we're talking about expensive gardens, like, like gardens that would feed people, right? This man was an entrepreneur in every sense of the word, right? And he built water reservoirs. Again, not your little cute, you know, little, you know, thing in the backyard. He's talking about, like, he owns a country, so he's doing everything that is in his heart to do, right? Not only that, but the Bible says he even bought slaves, right? In other words, he had the means to have people work for him and be able to say, hey, whatever I want to accomplish, I have slaves to be able to do the work. Now, let me pause this for a second because there's a big misconception here. We have to remember that God does not condone this. 
Because I've seen people sometimes misread the Bible. It says, well, in the Bible, people own slaves. Yes, but God never condoned people to own slaves. Matter of fact, the second book in the Bible called Exodus, which is an exit out of slavery. So God is not a God who wants you to own people. God is a God who wants to free people. So let's make that clear. Because back in the days in this country, people owned slaves in their own Bibles. Which is crazy. It's a crazy thing to remember. Like, these people own these people, and they would try to read the Bible to them. And it's like the whole very Bible is telling you to set these people free. This is what happens when we take the Bible into our own account and make it into our own image instead of what God had in mind for it to be. So let's not have selective hearing here. God does not condone slavery. God wants to set people free. Can you say amen? Right? He also owned herds and flocks back in those days. Man, the more animals you had, the richer you were. Right? Basically, the currency of the day wasn't just in silver and gold. It was in flocks. Right? The amount of animals you had, he just said, man, look how rich this dude is. Right? Because animals meant food. Right? And then you could provide not just for yourself. You should go look into what he took to run a Solomon household daily. It will blow your mind. The amount of animals that were slaughtered daily just to feed the palace. <laughs> and like, and like, it jacked me up just thinking about it. That, wow, this is how these people lived. Because they had the means to do so. So money wasn't a problem, food wasn't a problem, flocks wasn't a problem, right? And then on top of that, this dude had silver and gold, which was the greatest currency you can have at the time. His silver and gold collection, to, in today's estimation, is about $64 billion. You thought you had your cute little gold around your cute little neck. <laughs> Talking about bling bling. Solomon's like, that's cute. <laughs> $64 billion just in silver and gold. You talk about entertainment, the man had the means to hire singers. Like your little cute worship team over here with like cute little five people. Solomon had hundreds of singers on his command that could just come and sing for him and entertain him. Right? This is the dude that we're talking, like wouldn't it be a great movie? Like, if, if we take this man's life and show you, like, the splendor of what it means to have the means to do whatever you want in life. And then he says to you, and I also had many beautiful women. I told you this last week. The man had over 700 concubines. Where do you find the time? <laughs> like, I just, from a logistic standpoint, how in the world, Solomon? <laughs> like... One is hard enough. <laughs> Fellas leaving me up here hanging. <laughs> like one woman is a handful. <laughs> Just going to stand right here. <laughs> and he says, I had everything you could ask for. He says, I, I, I spared no pleasure. It's like, if I was feeling it, I'm going for it. So that's a mean to do it. We would, today, kids would say, man, he's living the dream. Hashtag blast. Because the dude could do whatever he wanted to do. 
But what's fascinating is, he says, but I felt empty. Felt meaningless. Once again, here's that word, right? He says, chasing wind. Have you ever grabbed wind and said, you will be my best friend? You're going to be my wind forever? Put your wind in your pocket? But he's showing you the elusiveness. He says, it's like vapor. You can't grab it. You can't hone it. You can't hold on to it. My friends, if we're paying attention... There's nothing new under the sun like he told us. We're still doing the exact same things. Hoping to find meaning. Hoping to find purpose. Hoping to feel alive. We're doing exactly the same things. We may not have all the means to do it, but we're still pursuing pleasure as the ultimate goal in life. It's interesting. If you look at today... Let me just give you a little bit of a context because we kind of all know this is happening, but I just want to bring us closer to, to see it for ourselves, right? They say today, the average person spends three and a half hours on their phone daily. Three and a half hours on that little device that now has controlled us. The device that tells us, give me meaning, give me purpose, give me life. Three and a half hours. You have 24 hours in a day. Three and a half hours on the phone. They say the average person also spends about three hours watching TV daily. So do the math. Three and a half hours on the phone. Three hours of watching TV. All in the name of... I'm trying to find life. I'm trying to find meaning. I'm trying to find purpose. I need to feel alive. I need to come alive. I need something to bring life into me. The number one streaming company is Netflix. Did you know this? Netflix has 214 million worldwide subscribers. That's not counting the ones that you share your password with. Let's bring conviction in this room. <laughs> so if we add the people that you share your password with, we're looking at at least 500 million people who are Netflix subscribers. If that's you today, you've got to come to the altar and repent for sharing your password. That's the number one. I mean, I'm not talking about the other ones. I'm just talking about the main one, Netflix. And you know what Netflix released? They released this, blew my mind, six Billions of hours is streamed monthly. Six billion hours of streaming monthly. Tell me we're not searching for meaning and purpose in all these things. Six billion hours of streaming. And I, I got some hours in there. I've logged in some hours. Anybody else? I, I've... A couple of honest people in this house, the rest of you holy ones are like, I don't stream Netflix. Uh, do you go on YouTube, Hulu, your mama's tube? How about this one? Kids, age 8 to 12, spend about 46 hours on some type of screen daily. 
four to six hours daily on some type of screen. Teenagers spend up to nine hours daily on some type of screen. Nine hours daily on some type of screen. How about this one? They say about $70 billion is spent in commercials. $70 billion spent in commercials. Why? Because every company is fighting for your attention, your money, your time, and your energy, saying, hey, you need one more thing. You're not really happy and fulfilled if you don't have this thing, whatever this thing is. It's like the carrot, remember? You got to be quicker than that. <laughs> right now, the hype is the new iPhone. And I don't know if you, it blows my mind. It just, it's laughable. Every iPhone commercial says, have you seen the new camera on the phone? I thought, we're selling a phone, not a camera. The whole thing is about a camera. Why? Because they know Vanity. Look at this camera, it's going to make your selfie look so much better. <laughs> I'm at New Life, hashtag blessed. <laughs> Go to the gym, don't work out, but you're on the treadmill, hashtag blessed. <laughs> Took you 35 minutes to post that thing, you didn't even walk. <laughs> How about this one? This is an estimation because they're not really sure. They said the porn industry spends, I mean, makes 6 to $15 billion. Because now the porn industry is right here. You don't have to go get a Playboy magazine anymore. You can just, it's right here. Here we are worshiping a holy God, but our phones are filthy. All in the name of what? Pleasure. Meaning. Purpose. Come alive. I need life. This, my friends, is the battle that we're facing. We are here in this sanctuary trying to pursue this God that can give us meaning in life. But we have all of these other things kicked up in front of us. All of these Smoke, all of this elusiveness chasing you, fighting for your attention, fighting for your energy, fighting for your time, fighting for your hours. Stuff that you will never get back. You will never get those hours back. These are the stuff that we're dealing with, my friends. You know how hard it is to preach in a society that is constantly distracted? As I'm trying to vie for attention, your mind is, is, is fighting to be somewhere else. Some of you guys are on your phone. As I'm talking about it. That's the struggle that we face. And sometimes it feels like it's an uphill battle. Like, God, how in the world are we going to break this stuff from us? We've become idolaters of pleasure. Where God himself, my friends, God, this God that we serve, actually wants to give you pleasure. He created you for pleasure. But the problem is, we have a tendency to settle for less than what he had in mind. And here's a man reflecting over his own life saying, man, I was one of those people that, 
that started with God and drifted away into my own understanding of what I, the life should be all about. You know you could be in church but not be about God. You know you can make church about yourself. You know you can turn this whole thing upside down and make it about you. Do you know that religion could become another pleasurable thing? But God may not be in it. Do you know you can sing songs about God but your heart can be far from Him? Do you know that you could be serving people in the name of God but really serving yourself? That, you, that we make this thing, we turn it around and make it about us instead of the God that created us. You know what the paradox is, my friends, if you're taking notes? The paradox of pleasure is this, is that the more you hunt, you hunt for pleasure, the less you find it. The more you make pleasure the aim, the less pleasurable it becomes. That's what's fascinating because here's, here's the thing with pleasure. Pleasure always wants more pleasure. Why do you think we are an addicted nation? Because we hunt after pleasure after pleasure and find ourselves less and less amused with pleasure. And then what, we, what do we do? We think we need more. And the more you feel it, the more he desires more. I told you, we're not just addicted to drugs. We're addicted to likes. We're addicted to selfies. We're addicted to ourselves. We're addicted to pleasure. And pleasure has taken root in our blood. So now, instead of going to church to find God, we go to church to try to find pleasure for ourselves. Even God becomes another fix. We live in the greatest society in the world and we just want to commit suicide because we're dead. Nothing seems to hit home. Listen, we are being entertained out of meaning. We are being entertained out of meaning. Like meaning is jacking us up because it's not the meaning that God had in mind. So we are literally bored out of our minds. I don't know if I can say this enough. We are being entertained out of meaning. We have no pleasure in anything that actually should bring us pleasure. Fighting for our time, fighting for our money, fighting for our attention, fighting for our energy. We are dying of boredom. We're in the presence of God and we're bored. We are putting energy into things that does not matter. Means nothing to have 10,000 Instagram followers means Jack. So, what you defeated the video game, no one cares. <laughs> Find yourself in your basement going, Who do I tell? This is amazing. So what? You won your fantasy game this week. Who cares? And I play fantasy football. <laughs> like, so what? You make six figures. You're empty. So what? You have a boat. The boat owns you. 
So what? You have a two-car garage with a lot of junk in it that you bought to impress people that you didn't even like. So what? Here is the richest man who's ever lived telling you, meaningless. But here we are. If I just get to that, if I just get to that level, what's the next carrot level I got to get to? If I just get to that promotion, if I just get to that, if I just, if I just, if I just, you know the worst thing about life is getting exactly what you thought you needed. You ever been there? But the very thing you thought you needed, you get there and then you go, now what? I thought this was going to be it. I thought this was going to settle this nagging feeling of restlessness. My friends, we live in a society you can buy experiences. Do you know that the porn industry has subscribers just like Netflix does? Buying experiences and walking away empty. You can't buy intimacy. You just can't. You can try. See, here's why meaning on itself is meaningless. It's because it's always a selfish endeavor. Meaningless in pursuit of pleasure is a joy killer because it's always selfish. Please hear me on this. The reason why meaning won't work outside of the one that gives you meaning is because there's someone who always pays a price for your pursuit of pleasure. Think about the porn industry. That's, that's looking for intimacy, ecstasy at the expense of another human being. And you think God will ever co-sign that? The God who says, I want exit out of slavery, do you think he's going to co-sign his modern-day slavery? Do you know why a lot of marriages don't work? Because you're trying to abuse another person to make you feel happy. We don't call it abuse. We call it, I'm not happy. Y'all ain't ready for this. My friends, what, what, what you have to realize is that people are more important than things and thrills. Majority of pleasure seeking is at the expense of another human being. So we walk away from marriages at the expense of a family that you threw away because you're not happy. You just heard it. Here's a grown man saying, my parents get divorced and I lose it. Do you know the ramification of divorce is much deeper than just the paper? You know why God says he hates divorce? Because, you know, he hates seeing people broken and hurting because you made a decision that was less than his plan for your life. See, my friends, please hear me. True pleasure, the ones that God intended, true pleasure should bring joy and build character. True pleasure should bring joy, not regrets. I'll never do it again. 
until next weekend. True pressure will bring you joy and build your character. In other words, I'm not joking when I said it feels like we're in a club because I want to be in a club where I have no regrets. That I'm not ashamed of my actions. I'm not feeling guilty about my decisions. I'm actually excited to share it with you. Not ashamed that you might find out. That's true joy and true pleasure. Where I can share it with you and I want you to experience it because there's no shame in it. There's no guilt in it. My friends, we need to reclaim. We need to reclaim what true meaning and joy is all about. This is what he's trying to get us to. I don't know if you understand. He's, he's, see, some people might see it's gloomy, it's depressing. No, he's making a point. He's trying to build you up to, to show you, like, listen, get off that hamster wheel. Get off the hamster wheel. Our whole society is set up as a hamster wheel. If you don't wake up to it, you'll be 65 on the hamster wheel. And they start you early, man. They want to get you as a teenager on the hamster wheel. Just on the hamster wheel. You're in church, but you're on the hamster wheel. Pay attention. You have that choice. That's the beauty of free will. You can, you can tell your mind, focus. Focus. Focus on what's right in front of you. Listen, to reclaim meaning, we must ask a very important question. He never asked this question until he's later in life. And you will see with the projection of Ecclesiastes. The very important question he never asked from the beginning was, God, what is pleasure according to your will? You created me. You wired me. You know me. You know what I need. You know what I want. What is pleasure? What is true pleasure, God? You created me to enjoy life. But at some point we go, God, I got it from here. I know you gave me life and you birthed me. And, but you know what? I got it from here. And you know what's funny? We do it in church too. I got it from here. I know. I told a young man. He said, stop saying I know, because you're short-circuiting your own growth by telling yourself you know everything, because you know nothing. Amen. Just a disclaimer, one of my main frustrations of church leading is the ones who are veterans who say, I know everything. So you know nothing. If you knew, you would be invested in other people, helping other people find this. You wouldn't make life about you and church about yourself. What brings God joy and pleasure? Because he created you to enjoy life. Don't ask what your favorite celebrity is thinking about. Ask what your creator is thinking about. I, I have met with our young people here in this room on a Friday night where we do our junior high and high school ministry. And I've told them this. I said, guys, put my life against any celebrity. None of them have a better life than I do. Because you can't buy meaning and purpose. I don't care how much money they have. They don't have much purpose. 
And I take that to the bank. I don't care who it is, man. Bring me your greatest celebrity. You're like, look at this guy. I'm like, yeah, look at my life. You're thinking that's purpose. That's meaning. We get to do stuff that lasts for eternity. They do stuff that lasts temporarily. It burns me up that that's, those are the heroes of our people, of our kids. People with nothing to show for it. Don't you understand these people, millionaires, going to bed asking the question, what is the point? I got the money. I got the girls. I got this. What's the point? But here's our kids going, I want to be like that. We got to reclaim real meaning. God is not against pleasure. God is against pleasure that leaves you empty. God is not against being a hedonist. God wants you to be a Christian hedonist. Where your pleasure has meaning, has purpose. The pursuit of pleasure that brings glory to God and edifies your life. Not just your life, but those around you. Because true pleasure will edify others too. True pleasure will not leave your wife on the outside looking in. Oh, that's the word. True pleasure will not leave your kids on the outside looking in. True pleasure says, what about my neighbor? True pleasure will never violate the rights of a woman for the sake of my own pleasure. That's not true pleasure. That's selfishness. The glory of God is my mind of favorite quotes from, from a second century church father. He says, the glory of God is man fully alive. You know what another word for glory is? The presence, the power and the will of God is for man to be fully alive. He says, man, that's why God created us, to reflect him. So when he puts the desire in you to have pleasure, it's because he built you that way. When he puts the desire meaning in you, it's because he wants you to find him, find purpose, to find meaning. The glory of God is man fully alive. I'll, listen, my friends, I'll take this to the bank. How many people in our society will say, I'm fully alive? Man, I'm fully alive, man. I wake up in the morning, I don't need anything to get me to feel alive. People wake up in the morning, have to find a drink, have to find a pill, have to find a website, have to find something to feel alive. That's not being alive. That's, that's chasing wind. The glory of God, man. This is, the, the, this is why when you worship, truly worship, it's like something in you says, man, I was, I was made for this. I was made to worship, man. I was made to praise. I was made. Like... like like praise is a weapon. Sad when you see, like we in the presence of God in worship and you see people, when can I get a fix? God wants you to enjoy life. That's, that's what's interesting about this whole thing. There's some theology out there that robs us of the very pleasure that God wants us to have. Some of us grew up in church where you think God has no fun. 
Fun is a sin. So why did he create us to have fun? Some places you go to, like, you, it doesn't feel like a church service. It feels like a cemetery. And don't you dare look happy. <laughs> it's like, what? We're serving the God of death. And sometimes I hear people say, well, I didn't know church could be like that. It's like, how else is it supposed to be? Like, like we're going to a funeral home. No, God wants you to enjoy life. I, I, I want to leave, let the Bible speak for itself for the next few minutes. Starting with Psalm 128. Look, look what the psalmist says about this God. He says, how joyful, joyful. What is the pursuit of pleasure? Looking for joy. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. All who follow his ways will enjoy the fruit of your labor. Don't you want to enjoy what you're working for? How joyful and prosperous you will be. In other words, God's like, Solomon, you forgot. I'm the one that gave you all the stuff. In the first place. And I love this. Watch, keep going. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine. Back in those days, their analogy and metaphors had to do with what they saw around you. But in other words, they say, man, your life, your wife will be amazing. <laughs> I got one husband in the house who's like, yes, yes. Oh, my wife to be amazing. Because that's true pleasure. You want people around you to be blessed. Watch this. Flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. Olive trees in that generation meant prosperity. Like, don't you want your kids to be blessed? How are they going to be blessed when they, they're spending nine hours on a screen? Like we need to reclaim the dinner table. Put the freaking phone away. Let's have life. Right? We need to reclaim family devotionals. As for me and my house, we're going to serve this God who loves us. It's not up to the church to raise your kids. The church is supposed to enhance what you're doing at home, around your dinner table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. Here's that word fear again. Remember we talked about this? He said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the reverence, the respect, the honor of God in my life. God's not an attachment. God is the center of my life. I don't put on God on a Sunday morning. Sunday is a continuation of my Monday, Tuesdays, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. In his presence. Because he wants to give me joy, the very joy that I won't regret. How many people are just living with regrets? Stuck in the past over bad decisions and choices. Unable to enjoy the present. It's a God of joy. Created you to have joy. He doesn't want you to waste your life. We tell our young people all the time, don't waste your youth. He tells you this later on in chapter 12. He says, man, it's, it's the saddest thing that I've read in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 when he says, remember you're created in the days of your youth before there comes times that you're like, I have no pleasure in them. Well, you know what he's talking about? Himself. 
He's saying, look, I have no pleasure. I, I wasted my youth on these trinkets. Man, this is why I have a love-hate relationship with social media, because I see trinkets. I don't see meaning. I don't see purpose. I don't see value. But you know what gets me mad? we got a whole generation going, that's it. That's life. God is for us. We need to establish this. Let me let the Bible keep speaking. Jesus, I love this. First Bible verse I've ever memorized when I became a Christian 24 years ago was this verse right here, Matthew 6, 33. First verse that I ever memorized. Jesus said, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Another version says he will give you everything you need. What is the everything? Go look at the context. Jesus is like, man, look around you. Everybody's concerned, worried, anxious. What are we going to do? We're going to eat. How are we going to wear? How are we going to pay bills? Jesus, God's like, I got you. If you learn to seek me above all. Don't let pleasure be your focus. Let God be your focus and watch pleasure come into your life. It's the reason why most relationships don't work. You want the other person to be God. No one can be God. This is why people walk away from marriages because you want the other person to be God. Instead of saying, oh God, you are the God of this marriage. And we're going to pursue you together. That's why you can't be an equally yoke and expect your marriage to work. Everything you want is found in this God that created you. Seek first him and watch him bring the pleasure that you're looking for. The Bible continues to say this. This is something I'm trying to practice in my own life, friends. It's like learn to practice gratitude. I love the scripture in, in Timothy. It says this. It says, since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it by receiving it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God in prayer. Gratitude is a powerful weapon. You know what gratitude will do? Gratitude will kick out restlessness. Gratitude will make you, watch this, celebrate your life, not look around for other people's lives. Hey. I try to teach this to our young people, especially the ones who get married. It's like, you get married, if God is in your marriage, don't look around and see what other married people are doing. Celebrate what you see good, but don't try to emulate anybody else but what God has for you. In other words, stay in your lane and enjoy what he's given you, what he's blessed you with. I remember when we got married, man, we broke. Best thing about college was meeting her, but then I got this loan. Hello. <laughs> but we made a pact. We said, you know, we're going we're gonna to celebrate everything where we are. Not where we think we should be, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pursue God for where we need to be. Man, it changes your perspective when you're grateful. You know why when you're grateful? This is what we're trying to get to with Ecclesiastes. You don't own anything. You're just a manager of what God has trusted you with. If God says, sell your business and go serve me in Africa, you're like, yes, sir. 
Because my pleasure is in you, not in my business. There was a young man one time who went to a missionary. He was like, missionary asked him, what's your dream in life? He goes, man, my dream is by the time I'm, by the time I'm 25, I'm going to be a millionaire. And then the missionary was like, and then what? He says, well, then I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to have a couple of boats. I'm going to have a couple of cars. And then, then what? Well, then, then I'm going to be self-sufficient. And then what? He's like, uh, then I'll be happy. <laughs> the millionaire says, you're dreaming too small, my friend. You know what the young man is doing now? He's serving God in a mission field. <laughs> I'm not saying that all of us are called to sell our businesses, but pay attention to the things that sometimes is robbing you of the very thing that God's trying to give you. Your business might be your calling. But if it's not your calling, it's none of your business to be doing that business. He said, I worked hard. He says, I enjoyed work. But work can become an idol as opposed to be a blessing. So we need to, we need to approach work as worship. Work is another extension of how I worship God. And if I approach it that way, man, my nine to five becomes a blessing, not a burden. Watch this. Colossians says this. I'm going to let the Bible speak for itself. Look, work willingly or whatever you do. Whatever in Greek means whatever. When I was teaching at the ministry school in Rhode Island, I used to tell young people all the time, I'm like, you're working at Starbucks, but you show up late. You do half of a job. You want God to give you a ministry? He can't trust you to make coffee. Don't you get it? Whatever our job you have, it's a test of your character. You got people with a job right now asking God for another job. God's like, you don't even do this one well. I'm supposed to trust you. You can't even, uh-oh. You can't even manage your finances. You want me to give you a wife? I want, you want me to trust you with one of my girls? Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. You work really hard when the boss is around, the boss leaves, but the real boss never left. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. Not your boss, the boss. And that the master you are serving is Christ. You go to work the next tomorrow, remember this. You're not working for Bobby, you're working for Jesus. Bobby's just there to test you. Jesus told him to. You're like, Bobby's an atheist. Yeah, Bobby has a better work ethic than you do. He might be more of a Christian than you. Oh, y'all ain't. Y'all are ready. One of the most troubling scriptures you will ever read. Go look it up. Jesus said, it seems to me that the sons of the world are smarter than the sons of God. Actually, you know what the word is? If you look it up, he says, it seems to me that they hustle more. And here we are praying about things we should be working for.
Prayer is not a substitute for work. Matter of fact, real prayer leads to work. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. How here praying, God, is it your will for me to serve? No wonder we're miserable, bored, out of our minds in church. Because we're missing the point of it. Missing the point of why we're here. And I don't know about you, I would be bored out of my mind if I, all I was doing was going to a religious service once a week to check a religious box. That, that would bore me to death. I have nightmares about that stuff. Although I, I'm serious, I have nightmares about being a Christian who all he did was go to church and check a religious box and go, look, look at me. I did it. What did you do? Don't you know one day he's going to say, what did you actually do? Like, he's going to require you to say, what did you do with the stuff I gave you? The time I gave you, the talents I gave you, the money I gave you, you thought I gave it to you for you? We're in for a reality check of eternal perspective. Thinking like the dude who said, hey, I, man, I made it now. I'm going to build an extra barn. He says, fool, today I'm going to require your soul. What then? You going to bring a U-Haul? Life is a gift, my friends. It's a gift from the creator. And he wants a return on his investment. So I'll end with you with this. The brother of Jesus, James, puts it this way. Life being a gift. He says this. He says, so don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. You didn't come up with it. We love those stories, don't we, in our day and age. I worked very hard on my own, went to school, uphill, no shoes, both ways, in the winter. You want to go night-night? Hey, we love those stories, like we're the God of our lives. Look at me, look what I did. We like to flex our pride. And in God's eyes, it's like, <laughs> that's cute. Because I could, I could pull the plug right now. Don't you understand it's a gift who created us? Some people come to church like they did God a favor. Look, I showed up. Where's my brownie? Where's my heaven brownie? It's laughable what we're doing with this stuff. No wonder we're bored out of our minds. He says it's a gift. This God... Who created all the lights in the heavens, he never changes or casts a shift in shadow. He chose, he chose, what's this, to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we of all creation became his prized possession. Now that blows my mind. Every Sunday morning I go to a place to, to pray. I'm always mesmerized by the creation around me, the water, the birds. And I'm like... It hit me this morning, like, who are we that you're mindful of us? Like, you got all this stuff. 
to create it. I look at these birds taking care of themselves. It reminded me of Jesus. Like, see the birds? I feed them. And you're over here worried that I won't take care of you even though you're my favorite possession. It's like, why? I'm such a knucklehead. Why me? Why us? Like, God, I see humanity. We're all jacked up. Why us? The only thing that makes sense is that he's, he's a father who loves unconditionally. Even when we're chasing wind, it's like, I'll wait. Oh, you don't believe me? That's the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son told dad, peace, I'm out. I got this. He's like, I'll wait. Never chased him. Let him go. Found himself eating with pigs and going, what am I doing here? One of the greatest moments in life is when we realize, what the heck am I doing here? Because here, you could be in church, but like here, here is where God's not. I accumulated all this wealth, now what? The car smell ran away, now what? The honeymooning season is over, now what? Man, this church used to be exciting, now what? Remember when it was exciting? Like this church had that car smell? Oh, this is new and amazing. Now it's like, oh, is he ever going to be done? Oh, I'm done. Stay with me as we pray. Psalm 37, 4. Until we get here, we're going to be restless. Until God becomes our pleasure, we're going to be chasing wind. Pursuing carrots. Until we get here, my friends, take this word and meditate on it all week. You don't need to read the Bible from Revelation to Revelation. Take one verse and meditate on it. Let it take root in you. This is a great verse for this week. Take the light. You know what the light is? Pleasure. In the Lord. And he will give you your heart's desires. You know why no entertainer, celebrity, movie has a better life than me? Because, man, (laughs) my life's dope. Because I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. And I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my church. When things are hard, my friends, I tell myself, my life's dope. I don't say it when it's all good. I need to say it when it's not all good. To remember why I go through the challenges and trials and tribulations. Why? Because my life is dope. And so is your life if you're paying attention. You should have that same mindset. My life is dope. Who has it better than me? Because the worst thing that could happen to you, you could die and go home to be with Jesus. Your life's dope. (laughs) Sometimes you need eternal perspective to enjoy life. If you don't have eternal perspective, life is miserable. Sometimes, I don't know what you do, I do this weird exercise. What's the worst thing that could happen to me? Then I go, oh, I can go home. My life's dope. (laughs) I could go home. Because this life is hard. But man, my worst days with him is better than any day without him. Facts. Facts. 
Can I encourage us to bow our heads and close our eyes? Nothing magical happens there. It's just self-reflection. Are you chasing carrots? Be honest with yourself. What in your life has more meaning than God? Be honest with yourself. Don't just come to church. Be honest with yourself. Realign yourself with your God, your creator, your maker, your savior. The one who created you. He knows you. He knows what brings you pleasure, what brings you joy. He wired you. He built you. Before the foundations of the earth, he already had you in mind. That blows my mind. He knows everything about you. He knows what makes you happy. He knows what makes you sad. And he wants to have union with you. He actually died for you. That blows my mind. It's like, man, I'd rather die than live without you. That's the God that I'm talking about. God who has unconditional love for you. But you got to love him back. You got to choose to love him back. You got to choose to say, God, I, I want you to be the source of my life, the joy of my life, the lover of my soul. The glory of God is for you to be fully alive. He wants you to run on all cylinders. So, Father, I pray right now that you will meet us where we are. Come, Holy Spirit. Come to every heart, every mind. In here, in Brockton, online, come, Holy Spirit. If you feel led, if you feel like God's speaking to you, can I encourage you to lift your hands to him like a sign of like, I'm open, Lord. I'm surrendering to you. I want everything you have for me. I want to live in the fullness of your will. You know what's the power about lifting your hand is saying, I'm releasing everything to you. I'm releasing control. I'm releasing my own understanding to embrace yours. I'm going to live with open hands, open heart. And you meet us here. Would you pray that? Lord, meet me right here. You're too good to leave me where I am. Come fill my mind, fill my heart, fill my soul. I want to be a Christian hedonist. I want to pursue you as the ultimate pleasure. You bring me joy. You bring me peace. You bring me so much meaning and purpose. And as you are in your right place in my life, then I'll enjoy the things you've blessed me with. Teach me to enjoy this life you've given me, this family you've given me, this, this spouse you gave me, this children that you gave me, this church community that you gave me. This business that you gave me, this, this life, Lord, I want to fully enjoy it. I want to live in a way that brings you glory with no regrets. No regrets.